At CFB Winning Edge, we are working hard to update our 2021 FBS team profiles with new stats and information, player and coach ratings and rankings, and projected depth charts to reflect transfer news, injuries, NFL draft decisions, and super seniors taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA. In our final push before we make our new 2021 team profiles available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters, we're offering Tier 2 access to new Tier 1 patrons who sign up for an annual membership in the month of March. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who help fund our show, annual updates, and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash Edge for more info. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. We got a bunch of teams to rock through today. So let's just start at the very beginning, Nick. Uh, Nevada is uh, team number sixty. On the list, they were seven and two last year. Jay Norvell uh, squad beat Tulane in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, thirty-eight to twenty-seven. They brought in the eighty-fifth ranked recruiting class in the nation, which was fifth in the Mountain West. Eight transfers out, only two in, so not great on the portal. Uh, but they bring back a ton of all Mountain West players: quarterback Carson Strong, running back Toa Tao, wide receiver Romeo Dubs, tight end Cole Turner. Uh, right tackle Aaron Frost, defensive tackle Dom Peterson, defensive end Sam Hammond, linebacker Lawson Hall, and even a kicker that we talked about at the end of last show. We talked about a lot of kickers, uh, Brandon Tyon or Talon, all Mountain West last year, obviously had a great record. So how do we see this team uh, moving forward into 2021, Nick? Well, well. first off, I think we talked about two kickers, and I think I talked about two kickers. You guys listened for about 90 seconds, mm-hmm. but... but uh, that was no. 90 <laughs> seconds too long. But, uh, but yeah. Nevada was, was a really exciting team to me last year. I, I, for whatever reason, they've been sort of forefront in my mind since the end of the 2019 season because I just, I remember so vividly taking a look back at uh, our power rankings at the end of the year and noticing that Nevada was by far the lowest rated bowl team in 2019, according to our numbers. And so, you know, I I was looking at that as always, you know, when you're going through updating all of our information from one year to the next, you notice certain things. Nevada had some major personnel issues on paper or, you know, according to our numbers, Uh, the defensive line, other than Dom Peterson, who is, you know, great. Everybody else was, uh, for the most part, really unproven. There were some big question marks defensively. There was, you know, they had a, a injury at, at receiver. Brandon Cooks uh, didn't end up uh, playing in, in 2020. So there were there were some real reasons to be concerned. But when they kicked off, you know, the Mountain West, of course, was late to the, to the party. But Nevada looked like a 
totally new team, looked like a completely different team. Uh, they were incredibly impressive on the offensive side of the ball. Carson Strong got a lot of uh, attention, I know, from you know, NFL talent evaluators, NFL draft guys are starting to uh, create a little buzz for Carson Strong. Romeo Dubs looked like an All-American receiver the first half of the year, uh, was among the national leaders for a long, you know, portion of the season, just uh, putting up huge, huge numbers early on. Uh, Cole Turner, I think, is, you know, uh, he he's not Kyle Pitts. I, I, I don't want to say that, but... I will, I, this time last year, I feel like I was a little bit early to the, Hey, Kyle Pitts is by far and away the best tight end in college football. And I kind of get a little bit of that feeling from, from Cole Turner. He is incredibly athletic. He's a a receiver in a tight end body and they're able to do some, uh, you know, they're, they're able to match him up in in a way where he's going to be incredibly productive, even with a healthy cooks coming back. Uh, I I don't see his production numbers going down. I I think there's even a, uh, an opportunity for him to, to be even more productive in 2020. And then, you know, running back uh, Toa Tawa is, is a bowling ball, hard to bring down, hard runner running back. And there's just a lot to like about Nevada on the offensive side of the ball. And, and I think they really made some strides defensively as well. I mean, you mentioned several uh, all Mountain West type players. Don Peterson, as far as an interior defensive lineman is, is I think one of the best in college football. I mean, he's a 100 rated player. According to our numbers, he had 20 production points coming into 2020 and then put up 11 production points last year. Sam Hammond uh, had nine production points. Linebacker Lawson Hall had eight. I mean, they were, they were really, really good across the board and, and they are losing uh, one starter in the secondary EJ Muhammad. And and then there's a, a, maybe another question mark or two, but they're bringing four starters back on the offensive line. I mean, there's there is so little to you know be nitpicky about from a personnel standpoint for Nevada. Now, all that said, I, I remember where I was this time last year, thinking Nevada had all these questions, and they end up becoming one of the most improved teams in college football. When we talked about our our team performance plus and minus, sort of our change in team performance from one year to the next. Uh, a, a week or so ago, Nevada was the third most improved team uh, behind Coastal Carolina and Toledo in that number last year. So, you know, I, I have to caution myself a little bit thinking uh, that, you know, may I was certainly too low on them in 2019. They had the uh, potential, of course, to be a really, really improved team in 2020. I, I always trying to guard against being you know, too extreme, whether it's negative or positive. And I'm having a hard time not being incredibly, incredibly positive about Nevada. So uh, they're a team that that is really, really exciting to me, have a lot of experience and production coming back on both sides of the ball. I think they might be the team to beat in the Mountain West. And, And certainly with them specifically being how they played last year, being so far uh, removed from what my expectations were them coming into the season. I'm trying to remind myself, hey, things can go back in the other direction, you know, sometimes without warning. But, man, Nevada is, is one of the teams that I think I'm most excited about in, in all of college football heading into 2021. 
Javier, do you have the same enthusiasm for Nevada? I mean, this squad finished well last year, uh, bring a lot of returning talent, like we mentioned before. Uh, what do you think about uh, Nevada moving forward here? Yeah, I think we're looking at a team that I think can replicate what San Jose State did last year. Um, you know, I, I don't think there'll be as much of a surprise as what San Jose State was able to do in the Mountain West. But I think they'll be right there, you know, challenging for the Mountain West title coming into this year. I mean, they lost two games last year, both of them in really, really close fashion. You know, you lose by three to Hawaii, you lose by 10 to San Jose State. And I, and I really like what Nick was saying. And I think, you know, you absolutely agree. They're bringing back so much talent that you kind of expect them to be able to do at least what they did last year, right? At least, they, you know, <clears throat> they went seven and two last year. You're thinking at least an eight, nine win team, uh, team here. You know, you look at their non-conference schedule and it's not, you know, hellacious either. You know, they've got at Cal. That's going to be pretty difficult due to the fact that, you know, Cal's defense is typically pretty uh, pretty good every year. You've got Idaho State and at Kansas State. I think those are two uh, or three very winnable games. And after that, you get a bye week and you head right into Boise State, which might be the biggest matchup of the year for you. And you get the off week beforehand. So I think, you know, you really look at this Nevada team. I, I see exactly what Nick is saying. I think this is a team that can compete for the Mountain West Conference next year. Um, obviously, you know, we think Boise State's the team to beat. But when you get a, a bye week right before them, that helps. You know, that definitely is, is a plus in, in that category. And I think they can do it. You know, they bring back so much talent and, and a lot of senior leadership as well. It's not just a lot of, you know, sophomores or, 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 or you know, juniors coming back. There's seniors in here. There's super seniors coming back. So I think when you look at it that way and, and Nick hit around the head, they're only losing so much talent, really two to three guys are leaving next year or leaving from this past uh, team. They're a team that can absolutely compete um, on the recruiting trail. They're doing just as good. They move from 10th in the Mountain West to 5th uh, in the Mountain West. And so I think that they're trending upwards. Uh, maybe they can keep this buck rolling for a little bit longer. But as far as 2021 is concerned, this is a nine-win ball club, in my opinion, at the very minimum. All right, the next team up here is Boston College. They were 6-5 and five last season. Uh, passed on playing in a bowl game. Uh, but they mm -hmm. did get the 37th nationally ranked recruiting class. But that's only 8th in the ACC, nine transfers out, five transfers in. They returned some all-conference players, wide receivers Dave Flowers, left tackle Zion Johnson, center Alec Lindstrom, and right guard Ben Petrula uh, all come back. That's three offensive linemen that were all-conference. They did lose some guys in tight end, Hunter Long, and linebacker Isaiah McDuffie off to the NFL. But, uh, Nick, what do you think of Boston College going into 2021? I was pleasantly surprised with Boston College last season. I, mm -hmm. I uh, thought that despite, you know, him doing some things that maybe drove some fans, whether they're Boston College fans or, or any uh, college football fan, uh, sort of a little bit crazy, Steve Adazio did a decent job of making Boston College competitive year in and year out with a roster that you know, weekly on a, on a weekly basis, more often than not is at a talent disadvantage. And so I was a little bit worried that moving to a, you know, first time head coach, first time, first year head coach and Jeff Halfley, who spent one year, you know, in major college football in, in the previous decade or so had been in the NFL prior to that. And, you know, did a, did a, an excellent job at Ohio State when he was a defensive coordinator, but was in a lot of ways a, a, a real unknown. So I was very cautious, was was not, didn't have very high expectations. And it's not like Boston College just 
completely blew teams out of the water. I mean, they they're they had a, a two, you know, started two and zero, oh, and then alternated wins and losses the rest of the year. But they were uh, more competitive, more impressive week in and week out really than than I expected. The offense I thought took a, a really big jump with Phil Dracovic, the transfer quarter uh, quarterback from Notre Dame, brought in uh some other you know talented guys through the transfer portal as well on both sides of the football. Uh really the you know other than Dracovic, the, the defensive players had the biggest impact. And you know defensively statistically speaking uh, Boston College uh, has a lot of room for improvement. They were 93rd in the country in yards per play allowed, 93rd in expected points added per play on defense, 84th points per drive allowed, 86th in yards per pass attempt and 113th in success rate against. So, you know, those uh, getting to this point in in our power rankings, we're talking about bowl teams, teams with winning records. That's not the defensive uh, resume that, that you expect for a, a team that's going to be able to, to get up to that point. But I, I think that Halfley, based on the improvement, you know, from what we saw his one year at Ohio State, and there's a, a lot of real respect for the defensive coaching staff that he's put together. I think that they are going to take a big step forward. They're continuing to uh, hit the transfer portal hard on, on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, and and I think that the offense is is going to be uh, at least as good as it was. Maybe even a chance to to get a little bit better there. You know, Dracovic's coming back. He had uh, some injury issues at the end of last season. He is going to have to you know be without his top tight end Hunter Long, one of the best tight ends in college football. David Bailey entered the transfer portal. Their leading rusher, but I. I feel you know pretty good about the receivers that they've got Zay Flowers is is an all ACC type guy really one of the more talented receivers uh you know small body receivers specifically in college football Jalen Gills you know a transfer from Ohio State really really highly touted uh coming out of high school and you know flashed a little bit last year CJ Lewis former quarterback uh you know was very impressive in spurts last year as well so i feel like there are some pieces uh to make this offense uh, you know to to be able to build on what they uh started in 2020 even without Bailey. They do have Travis Levy, who's uh, you know, a guy who can help his receiver as well. Alex Singfield, a transfer from West Virginia, similar skill set. You know, it seems like they are at least built for now being kind of a, you know, spread it out for, you know, 10 personnel type team. Uh, get the running back involved. And, and, you know, they are Boston College. They've got six other tight ends on the roster. So, <laughs> you know, I think that somebody is going to be able to, to step in and and replace some of the production that, that Hunter Long had. But this is a team that is, you know, at least got the potential to be a, a pretty wide open offense. And then I think uh, statistically, at least, despite losing the two linebackers uh, and also losing Max Roberts, who was a, a very productive uh, transfer from Maine, uh, FCS Maine last year, you know, just about everybody else is back, including a lot of guys uh, that it seems like are going to be taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility. So uh, Boston College, you know, it's it's always going to be difficult for me to expect 
a big jump because, you know, with the exception of some of these transfers that were uh, high four-star type guys coming out of high school, they don't recruit sort of in the, in the number range mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. expect a, a system like ours to really respect. So it's going to be difficult for Boston College to improve upon this ranking. I think they will a little bit because, uh, and I'll release you know, the, the rankings and, and our patrons know uh, who have access to our team profiles that Boston College ranks 77th in, in our quarterback uh, talent rankings. And that's because at the very end of the year, we didn't know if Jerkovic was was going to be able to play. So his uh, 88 rating is split with the backup Dittish Grossell, who's a 72, brought it down a little bit. They're probably, if, if we uh, had Jerkovic, you know, as the full-time starter there, They'd probably be up a few spots in the in the upper fifties, uh, maybe even closer to the to the lower forties. But that's about, I think, where they will start next season. And despite some some experienced guys and, and some high profile guys uh, who are on board as as transfers, just the the position by position talent numbers aren't really. There, they were 72nd in, in running back talent. They were actually 11th in receivers, and that's because uh, Hunter Long, you know, who's mm-hmm. a 90 type tight end, I think they will fall down into the you know 20s, 30s, maybe uh, at, at that position. But you know, 40s at, at offensive line, 50th overall on on offense, and then you know top 50-ish in in all three levels of the defense. So they were a a top 30 type defense. They're probably going to take a few steps back because of the personnel losses at linebacker. But, you know, they're just not the the top tier of the ACC as far as talent. They're really even not uh, mid-tier for the most part. They're going to be at a talent disadvantage more often than not. So for them to really improve upon and, and, you know, move towards seven, eight wins. It's certainly possible because the non-conference schedule is not that difficult. You know, even, even they play Missouri in the non-conference. We've already talked about Missouri. They're a team that's right in, in level uh, as far as our, our strength numbers go. So that's basically a coin flip and it's a home game. The other three, they should be pretty big favorites in, in the non-conference. And then, you know, tough ACC schedule. But other than Clemson, there's no game that you look at and think that's absolutely not a, a winnable game. But it's going to be difficult for a team that uh, I don't think just has the depth uh, as far as a talent standpoint as, as an ACC title contender right now. Halfley is recruiting incredibly well. He seems to really connect with young players. Uh, I think that this is a team that's got a lot of positive momentum. If they're able to keep him, you know, for, for a long period of time, he might be a rising star that, you know, is, is somebody that if Michigan's looking for a head coach in a year or two might, might get a call, but, you know, or, or other teams of that sort of uh, tradition. But right now, they seem to be moving in the right direction. They're just sort of the the kind of team that I think might be an improved team next year, but the one loss record might not look that different. I, I do think seven or eight wins is certainly possible, especially with the manageable non-conference schedule, but a lot of those ACC games are winnable. They're also 
games they could lose. They could lose to NC State. They could lose to Louisville. They could lose to Virginia Tech. Maybe Georgia Tech takes a big step forward. You know, Florida State's always somebody you have to watch out for. Wake Forest. None of those games is a, a guaranteed win either. So I, I don't know exactly which direction they're going to go in the immediate future, but if they can keep Jeff Halfley, I, I think that the long-term future at Boston College is is really bright. Uh, what 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 do you think about Boston College here, Xavier? I think like Nick mentioned, you know, they recruited very well, but for the mm-hmm. ACC, like I said, they're still eighth, you know, so it's yeah. low uh, against their competition. It's you know, in the P five, you know, I think it's all kind of the same. You can have a high recruiting class, but within your conference, it, what does it look like? Yeah, if you're low, it's just not going to add up. Yeah, I, I agree with Nick. I think this year for them, 2021, is going to be kind of a bridge year. This is one of those weird years, though, and we've talked about this with eight former ACC schools that we've talked about in other episodes. With how much offensive talent is leaving a lot of these mid-tier schools, it leaves schools like Boston College in pretty good situations. You know, Nick was talking about how a lot of these games in the ACC are toss-ups. And I think, you know, where, where, ACC, where Boston College really failed last year was when they faced teams that were explosive offensively. You know, you talk about a Clemson, you talk about a Notre Dame, you talk about a, uh, a Virginia at the end of the year, you know, and a Virginia Tech in the middle of the year. Explosive offenses really hurt them last year. And I think that, you know, a lot of the teams I just named are losing so much talent offensively that even though the defense is the biggest question mark coming into this year, it might not be as much of a question mark when you look at the fact that the rest of the ACC has lost so much talent. You know, we, we, we've talked about Louisville losing so much talent. That's a mid-tier team. We've talked about Virginia losing so much talent. That's a mid-tier team. Virginia Tech, Pitt, those are all the teams that are kind of around them uh, as far as the middle of the pack is concerned. And they're losing a lot of talent, whereas Boston College, especially offensively, is not losing nearly as much. And so I think that's a plus. Nick hit it right on the head, too. I think their non-conference schedule is a plus for them going into this year. You know, when you start off your year with UMass and, and Colgate and Temple, I think those are three wins that build confidence. You know, even the game against Missouri, it's at home. I think that can build confidence. Now, then you get right in the ACC play with Clemson. But if you're 3-1, and 4-0 and going into that game, then you're looking for, okay, we need to win two more to get to a bowl game, four more to have a really good season. And so when you look at the second half of their schedule and they're playing at Louisville, at Syracuse, I think those are two very winnable games for them as well. You know, um, Wake Forest to end the year might be the, you know, might be the decider of whether or not they get to seven or eight wins. But I think by that point, they'll already be bowl eligible. I think Boston College is trending in the right direction. Scott, you talked about their recruiting class. Next year, currently they're ranked second in the ACC. Next year, currently they're ranked 15th nationally. They're trending in the right direction uh, when it comes to recruiting. I think Nick's absolutely right with uh, keeping their head coach. He, he's, he's really starting to bring in some top-tier talent into Boston College, a school that's not been easy to recruit uh, at. And I think that, you know, if he continues this run, they'll be able to bring in more top-tier talent. I think this is the perfect time for them to do it with the ACC kind of being in a little bit of a transition. The traditional powers aren't, you know, the cream of the crop. you got Clemson, but Miami's in a transition. Florida State's in a transition. So you can make a, you know, you can make a claim right now to be one of the best teams in the ACC if you're able to recruit well over the next two to three years and turn that into good you know, it turned out into consistent wins and talent. I think Boston College is in that direction. I think they're a seven to eight win team uh, next year. And that's what I'm confident with. I, I, the next team here is just, this is the Dos Equis of teams. You know, they definitely drink Dos Equis. The most interesting team 
in the world here and probably what a lot of people are here to listen for. Uh, Tennessee finished three and seven last year. Obviously, a uh, whole new head coaching uh, coaching staff here. we got Josh Heupel coming in from UCF. Kevin Steele was the interim head coach. Uh, not sure what his role is going to be, probably D.C., but uh, Rodney Garner is the new defensive line coach. Glenn Ellerby is the O line coach. They just brought a ton over from UCF, a little bit over from Auburn as well. Um, they are. They did have. They passed on uh, playing a bowl game last year, but or excuse me, uh, they 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 didn't get a bowl game opportunity last year. Twenty six transfers out, which is the most that I've seen uh, so far. Two transfers in. But they did get a big transfer in in uh, Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker. Uh, they have a couple of guys that were all conference returning with, uh, or excuse me, a couple of guys going to the NFL that are going to be big losses. Wide receiver Josh Palmer, guard Trey Smith, and cornerback Bryce Thompson. I, I mean, Nick, what is Tennessee going to look like? And good luck getting whatever you say correct because there is uh, <laughs> a lot going on with this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tennessee, I, I first of all, I, I believe that Kevin Steele is not is no longer affiliated with with Tennessee. So I don't know if he's taking a year off, going to be an analyst or something. But the, the last I heard was uh, that that Heibel wasn't planning on having him as part of the uh, the staff there. So there's, you know, uh, so much turnover. You mentioned all the guys transferring out and you know it's not just you know uh, this time last year we talked about oh UConn's had 20 transfers and well some of them had some starting experience but these are impact guys at, at Tennessee I mean Henry Toto is one of the best linebackers in college football an all-american candidate uh we think he's headed to uh Alabama but that's not official there's I think a small chance he comes back but most of the you know big name guys are already off to new places and and you know Eric Gray and Ty Chandler two really impressive running backs are going to Oklahoma and North Carolina respectively uh Brandon Johnson is off to UCF uh, you know, two starting offensive linemen, Wanye Morris and Jameer Johnson, are going to Oklahoma and Texas A&M, respectively. Uh, you know, DeAndre Johnson off to Miami on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Quavish Crouch, also a, a returning starter. I mean, that's, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players who were starters, who started more than 51% of, of Tennessee's games last year are gone through the transfer portal. They also lost uh, Kevon Bennett, who was one of their most productive defensive players before the end of last season for, for off the field issues. So it is a team absolutely in, in transition from a personnel standpoint, also from a coaching standpoint, flipping philosophies from a kind of old school defensive minded guy and Jeremy Pruitt and the staff that he built to Josh Heupel is, you know, Offensive-minded, uh, fast-paced on offense, and and just it's it's so much change that it's hard for me to to be optimistic about the short-term future. There are, I think, some things 
to like. Harrison Bailey is, you know, returning uh, quarterback, got, you know, three uh, starts and, and played in six games last year. I think even though Hendon Hooker's coming in, I probably would would uh, say that he's got, you know, a 50% chance of winning that job. Hooker, uh, I, I believe I'm correct in, in thinking that he committed to the previous coaching staff. So not necessarily, you know, Heupel's handpicked guy there. Uh, certainly is, is a guy who flashed at Virginia Tech, looked, you know, was a, a very productive runner and, and really I don't think got enough credit for uh, some of the progress he showed as a passer. But still, I, I don't know if he's a perfect fit there. I think Bailey might be a little bit more uh, suited for – kind of the, the hypo style of offense, but, you know, regardless quarterback, I think is a position you can build on. They were able to bring uh Velas Jones back who, uh, you know, talented guy transfer from USC helps in the return game. They bring a little bit of consistency back uh, there at, at receiver with him. The offensive line is losing, you know, a, a one or two full-time starters, but brings back, uh, everybody, you know, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who have starting experience. So that's not a complete rebuild. I'm really, really worried about the defense. Tennessee is is a team that uh, does not have a a you know most uh, up to date roster. Uh, so I I don't know for sure if they're bringing back all these guys on the defensive line. If so, that's a, a strength. I count five guys who are uh, super seniors. If, if those guys are coming back, we'll have to wait on, on final uh, updated rosters for that. But, you know, they do bring back four starters in the secondary. So they are, you know, a, a team that there are, you know, units here and there where I think that you can get at least some sense of optimism for the future. But just the, the, grand, you know, bird's eye view of the program, I'm not really optimistic about at least the short term. I, I think that, you know, Hypo might be able to inject new life into the offense. Uh, I, I, you know, do have respect for him as a play caller. Uh, UCF was a lot of fun to watch offensively. Defensively, you know, uh, as we always talk about Tennessee, there are guys who are talented guys who were you know highly rated coming out of high school didn't necessarily play up to that uh potential yet and the the new coaching staff doesn't necessarily make me think they're going to take a big step forward but you know they they statistically and they played a tough schedule but just not very much to to get excited about they rank 91st in net yards per play 89th in EPA margin, 93rd in net points per drive, 95th in net yards per pass attempt, and 83rd in net success rate. The the best individual uh, numbers actually were uh, on the offensive side of the ball, 46th in, in success rate offensively. So, you know, it, it's just with so much turnover and not a, not a great uh, foundation really to build upon, it's difficult for me to think that this is a Tennessee team that is going to rise in our power rankings. I mean, they they fell all the way to 57th. They started our, uh, in, in the top 25 in the preseason in our numbers. They also reached, I think, 14th in the country in the, the AP poll after they started 2-0. Uh, but they've fallen all the way down to the you know, late 50s. I think they might even start maybe in the 60s next year. But you know, 
fortunately for them, the schedule is manageable, especially the non-conference. They could potentially go 4-0, should probably go 3-1, and and then you win a couple of SEC games, you know, you're, you're back to, to being in a bowl game, and it feels like a big step forward. So can they knock off South Carolina? Probably. We've already talked about South Carolina, and I definitely think there's, you know, little chance that they take a step forward in our power ranking, so we would have Tennessee favored in that game. Uh, and, and then you've got some toss-ups against teams like Missouri on the road, Ole Miss at home, Kentucky on the road. Those are going to be tough games, but those are, I think, you know, potentially winnable games right now. And this is, I think, the first reference I've, I've made of this. Uh, but I do have early projections for Tennessee. Do have all of our SEC teams done. And, and uh, so right now we've got Tennessee favored in one, two, three, four, five games. Favored in five games. Uh, and then they're within a touchdown against Missouri. They're within a touchdown against Ole Miss. And they're right around a touchdown against both Kentucky and Pitt. So, you know, those are those are winnable games. Uh, and, and getting back to a bowl game, having a chance at a winning record, if you take care of business in the non-conference, is uh, certainly, re- you know, you would then feel optimistic about Josh Heupel's first season. But... Man, he he is working with a a lot of of he's uh, going to be relying on a lot of new faces. We build this sheet and I release it to our patrons each week uh, that gives a just a quick sort of season in review. Statistically, it, it has our leading passer, rusher, receiver, top graded offensive lineman, the leader in tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, and pass breakups. And going down the list, Tennessee's leading passer, Jarrett Garantano, gone to you know, uh, Washington state, Eric gray, the leading rusher is gone. Josh Palmer, leading receiver gone. Trey Smith, top rated, uh, offensive lineman gone. Henry Toto gone, uh, leading tackler. He's also the leader in tackles for loss. Kevon Bennett, uh, was tied with DeAndre Jordan for the leader in sacks, both gone. Bryce Thompson, leader in interceptions gone. Kenneth George jr. Uh, led with six pass breakups. He's the only player in those categories that we expect back. And he's a former walk-on, so not necessarily even uh, you know the the former five or, or four-star recruit that we're used to seeing at Tennessee. So there's they're going to be relying on new players just about everywhere, new coaching staff, and with so many question marks, so many unknowns. I don't have a whole lot of optimism, but I do think the schedule is manageable enough that they could get back to a bowl game potentially. Xavier, I mean, uh, we haven't particularly been favorable towards Tennessee in the past, but uh, new coaching staff, I guess, new hopes and optimism coming for the school. Uh, do you share in that or is this a uh, I'm here to watch this car wreck? Ah, see, okay. So the fan in me wants to watch the car wreck, but the, 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 the football analyst in me says that, I mean, I feel like they're in the mold of a Florida state at the moment. Amazing amount of talent, bountiful amounts of talent all over the roster. Four but, and five uh, but not, are they really though? Are they really that talented now with, with 20 guys who were among the most talented guys? You know, I, 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 we fall back on that word a lot with teams like Florida state and Miami, USC, Texas yeah. from time to time. Tennessee gets that treatment as well. 
And in years past, it might, you know, because Butch Jones recruited really well. Jeremy right. Pruitt recruited really well. A lot of those guys they recruited are gone. I mean, this is a roster that is completely, yeah, yeah, there are some four stars sprinkled out in some high profile spots. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I think there's an argument to be made. This is not a, you know, at least as far as the SEC goes, this is not a very talented team. But wouldn't you say the same for a Florida State coming into this year? Coming into this year, maybe. But Florida State's had uh, an injection of talent through the transfer portal that we haven't really seen with Tennessee. And it could, you know, they they certainly could. New coaching staff, uh, long off season. They we might have a different feeling about Tennessee in a couple, or I might have a different feeling in, about Tennessee in a couple months. But our our early early numbers, you know, uh, talent wise, don't really. Uh, they don't. They don't look great right now. I mean, they're. Let's see. I. I. I are brand new, not not released yet because we're not done with everything. But uh, looking at at the the talent edge numbers for for next year, and Tennessee is not as talented as Florida, not as talented as Ole Miss. I mean, they're very close, but not as talented as Ole Miss. Not as talented as Alabama. Not as talented as Georgia by any stretch. I mean. You know, they do have more talent than Missouri. They do have and, – and it's just the – I think the particular teams that they match up against with their schedule, they are not as talented as, as Texas A&M, who they don't have to play, obviously. I don't think they're as talented as uh, – certainly not LSU, probably not Mississippi State or Auburn, but they just – they miss those teams. So I, I think that whatever happens in 2021 – you know, whether it's it's stumbles in the, in the first year under a, a new head coach, we're not going to get a great sense of, of this Tennessee team because if they were playing last year's schedule with this year's roster, I mean, they might they might win two games, not three. They might win one game. I mean, this this is this roster took a big step back. It, it, we just That's might right. not see it uh, week to week as much because the schedule's so different. Well, I mean, if they struggle as much as they did last year, when we'll see it. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're correct in saying that due to the fact they do have more of a softer schedule, uh, to coin the term, then, yeah, we may not see it for real. But if they lose to Missouri and South Carolina, then we absolutely know where they are at as far as talent is concerned this year. And that's my biggest thing with Tennessee going into 2021. Their schedule is so easy from a from just a – first glance view that you know even a game at florida florida has lost so much talent that even you know and we talked about it a little bit in in yesterday's episode but they lose three guys in the secondary you know they lose trask they're you know they're losing so much talent as well Kadarius tony kyle pitts that even that florida game in previous years tennessee tennessee should at least for the very least compete and I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And tennis and Florida's having a down year. So, you know, with their schedule being so – go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> we have Florida as a 23-and-a-half point favorite over Tennessee. Right? I, I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, I just named how much talent Florida's losing, and they're still a 23-point favorite according to our numbers. I think that's how poor Tennessee will be this year. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know where they find their, 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 you know, their footing back because Nick hit it right on the head, and we've talked about this several times. Tennessee recruited well under but uh, under the last two head coach regimes, and it didn't mean anything, you know. So it's like, oh well, well the, the recruiting classes are going to turn around. 
Does that necessarily mean anything at Tennessee? Not necessarily. Not not proven over the last three to four years. And that's why I put them and Florida State in that same conversation, because the question is, where do they go from here? Do they return back to form where they were in the early 2000s, you know, even in the mid 2010s with Joshua Dobbs, where they were where they were competitive atop the SEC East? I'm not so sure about that. And how much longer will it take? How many more coaches will it take for them to finally get back to a point of, of relevancy where the, the, the what they're not relevant for is losing games versus what they're being relevant for is winning? So so for Tennessee, it's a really it ticks you off as a, as a college football fan. Because with with a team and a university this large playing the kind of talent that they're going to be playing next year, playing the kind of schedule where they'll be seeing like South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky, South Alabama, Vanderbilt, and we genuinely think this might be a five-win team even with that being the case, it's really frustrating uh, for for a football fan and definitely for Tennessee fans. I personally am going to love it. But that is is, uh, how I see Tennessee at the moment. I just don't see where – you know, when we say a team is trending upwards or downwards, I just feel like they're going to be stagnant over the next two to three years, maybe a six, seven win, you know, maybe a couple of bowl games here and there. But that's what all I really see from them, even if their talent gets better over the next two to three years. All right. The next squad up is uh, San Diego State. Probably a little less to say about San Diego State than Tennessee, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. A good squad, four and four last year. Under Brady Hoke, opted out of bowl consideration, 62nd recruiting class in the nation, but that is good for first in the Mountain West so far. Uh, six transfers out, two transfers in. Uh, both four stars from Mississippi State, though, quarterback Jalen Maiden and wide receiver Tyrell Shavers. Uh, they have uh, some good all-conference players coming back, running back Greg Bell, left tackle uh, Giles Spaulding, right tackle Zachary Thomas, defensive tackle Cameron Thomas, and linebacker uh, Caden McDonald all coming back. Uh, they lost a couple, uh, three safeties to the NFL, all uh, good prospects too. Tariq Thompson, Dwayne Johnson Jr., and Darren Hall. Uh, they did get one new coach, Mike Goff, the offensive line coach. Uh, he was coaching O-line at Western Kentucky last year. But uh, what do we think of San Diego State heading towards 2021 here, Nick? I wondered about San Diego State this time last year because they have a, a new head coach, Brady Hoke had, you know, in the second tenure uh, or, or second stint at San Diego state as head coach was promoted as a, a, an assistant on the staff. So you thought there was going to be some continuity there, but still, you know, you always wonder if a team will take on a, a different identity when there's a new head coach, San Diego state was exactly in 2019 or 2020, what they were in 2019 under Rocky Long. They ran the football, you know, have a, a, a deep shot every once in a while to a couple of talented receivers, uh, whether it's Kobe Smith or, or Jesse Matthews, but then, you know, run the ball, play good defense. And and that's what we got. And, you know, quarterback was a, a position that was inconsistent for them. Uh, Carson Baker started the first half of the year, uh, had a little, you know, ineffectiveness at times, a a little injury thrown in there as well, lost his job to Lucas Johnson, former transfer from Georgia Tech, who showed some real promise, uh, you know, in in his uh, opportunity to start, but he ends up getting hurt. So they go to Jordan Brookshire. They're bringing in, as you mentioned, a a transfer. So still seems to be a a position uh, in transition, but I'm not sure that it's really going to change too much anyway, because, Bell is back. You know, they've got a a deep uh, group of running backs that they'll be able to turn to. They've got a really, you know, pretty solid offensive line. And 
despite those three guys that you mentioned leaving in the secondary, they've got a, a talented defense coming back, at least a defense that's put up excellent numbers. Last year, they ranked third in the country in yards per play allowed. Uh, they ranked eighth in EPA per play defensively, eighth in points per drive allowed, sixth in success rate against, and third in net yards per pass attempt. So this was, statistically speaking, an elite defense. And, you know, they're bringing back, uh, according to our early numbers, the entire uh, front seven, which includes a couple of all-conference players, as you mentioned, Cameron Thomas, really, really productive interior defensive lineman. He's already up to a 100-rated player as a sophomore going into his, his uh, true junior year, has 31 career production points. Uh, it's just incredible, according to our numbers, but he just puts up, you know, he fills the stat sheet from uh, the interior defensive line and, and has been incredible. Caden McDonald at linebacker, incredibly productive as well. 16 production points. He's a 93, uh, almost a 94 rated player. And, you know, they're they're not the only ones. Jonah Tavai, another defensive lineman, 13 production points. So they're bringing back, you know, guys who've played a lot of football, who've had a lot of success and, I, I think until further notice, we just kind of have to treat this San Diego State team like we've treated the last three or four or five or, or however long. They're a team that's going to put up top 10 type defensive numbers and, until further notice, until a team can you know take advantage of, of uh, some personnel losses. And it's certainly possible because all three of those guys that you mentioned might be drafted, uh, you know, or at least might uh, make it into an NFL training camp. But they're they're bringing back a lot of familiar faces on both sides of the football, especially on offense, and and even adding in a, a couple of talented pieces through the transfer portal as well. So I think San Diego State. It's hard for me to imagine a lot of of uh, you know for them to make a big jump, but it's it's difficult for me to imagine them to take a big step back either. And you mentioned the recruiting numbers are, are on the rise. They've got a new stadium that they're building. I'm sure the facilities are getting better. That's one little bit of concern that I have is, is their home games are technically going to be played in, in uh, the stadium in Carson, California next year. So it's not like they really have a, a home field advantage, but San Diego State playing in the old you know Qualcomm Stadium didn't have a huge home field advantage then either. And they were consistently one of the best teams in the mountain West. So the, the non-conference shakes out pretty well, New Mexico state, FCS Townsend, both on the schedule, a couple of PAC 12 teams, you know, at Arizona, they might be favored in that game. It, it certainly would be a toss up at worst. And then Utah is, is a, uh, you know, probably going to be an underdog, but they have them at, at, home, have them in Carson, and then Utah is not quite, you know, they're still top 40, top 30, uh, not not necessarily a Pac-12 contender, I don't think quite yet, but, you know, the schedule sets up for another solid eight, nine wins, and, and maybe if if the stars align, they can compete with some of the, the teams that we expect to be toward the top of, of the Mountain West. They get San Jose State early in the year. Uh, they have Boise State at, at the very end. They do play uh, Nevada, of course. Those are going to be three really tough games and and some other, you know, at Air Force is always tough. Fresno State's uh, definitely, I think, on the rise. At Hawaii is tough. But 
none of those games is is a surefire loss. So mm-hmm. this is a team that could win 11 games if all goes well. And, and it's just, it's also the sort of team that the margin of error is, is relatively small in the style of play, where if, if they can't, you know, get to 20 points, it's going to be difficult to, to uh, beat one of those top tier Mountain West teams. So it's also a team that could lose four games. So I think anywhere in, in that range is, is uh, reasonable to expect, but I think absolutely San Diego State is a bowl caliber team. And certainly, you know, I wouldn't say a Mountain West favorite, but it wouldn't shock anybody to see San Diego State back in the Mountain West title game. What do you think, Xavier? Does San Diego State have enough on offense to uh, uh, to win the Mountain West again? I don't think so. Uh, and, and I think they were able at times to lean on their defense last year. And, and I'm not so sure that they can do that again this year. You know, their, their secondary loses a lot of talent. And when you lose three guys to the draft, that not only tells you how, you know, how important they were, but how much talent that they had. You know, and, and when you lose – and we talked we talked about it in yesterday's episode. I think it's funny that we're talking about so many DBs, but you know it's one thing for Alabama or Georgia or Florida State to re- you know replace three DBs in the secondary. It's another thing for San Diego State to replace three NFL quality uh, guys in their in their secondary going into this year. And, and you know if they're going to be a team that can that, that is going to want to compete in the in uh, in the Mountain West. It's going to take for them to really put up points, and I'm not so sure they can do that. You know, yes, they you know they bring back two All Conference tackles, you know, and their quarterback can make the next step going into his senior year. But really, I'm looking at the receiving core to be better. They, you know, they, they've they've got to get more production out of guys who are coming into their you know their junior and senior year, who you know the the, the youth excuse is no longer there. You know, you know, uh, and I really am looking at them to make that jump, and if they can then San Diego State is a team that absolutely can compete, you know. And so offensively, there's some question marks for me, and it's really at the skill positions uh, for me because I think the offensive line is going to be just as good as they were last year, if not better. Uh, but at receiver, is a big question mark for me to be able to make that next step going into next year uh, um, so that they can compete. Because when you look at their schedule, you know, they have a very favorable, even non-conference schedule. I think their hardest game is Utah. Outside of that, that's a team that can go three and one in their non-conference schedule. They can beat New Mexico State at Arizona and Townsend. I I, I believe that, you know, 100%. It's what they do once they get into conference play and they see some of these high-powered offenses like a San Jose State, like even in the Air Force, the Hawaii. You know, we just talked about Nevada and all the talent that they're bringing back. Uh, and so it's not – none of these games, for the most part, are, are gimmies. And I'm really looking for that defense, especially in that secondary. Can they replace the talent that they lost last year? If they can, then you're absolutely right, Scott. They can compete for the Mountain West Conference. If they cannot, it's going to be a struggle for them game in and game out because we've talked about how poor their offense has been uh, consistently scoring 25-plus points you know, uh, a game and how much their defense has had to be the reason why they won ball games. If they can return, if they can fix that problem in the secondary, I think they can compete without it. They're going to struggle. I think they're going to—they're more of a six-win ball club. They're still a bowl team, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I think six wins to seven wins is comfortable for me. I just don't see them being able to replace three NFL, dra- you know, draftable guys in a secondary uh, at San Diego State. How about a third Mountain West team in this group? Air Force, 
three and three last year under head coach Troy Calhoun, 94th ranked recruiting class are bringing in, which is eighth in the Mountain West. Only two transfers out. You know, the military academies don't use the portal uh, too often. Uh, Tim Horton, the new running backs coach, insert your donut joke here, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Nick, your uh, outlook on Air Force going into 2021 uh, going to be an interesting team for sure. Yeah, and this is this is a mini Mountain West review preview, basically, because <laughs> we're not we're not done talking we're Mountain not, West. Yeah, we're we're not done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea when it comes to Air Force on a on a yearly basis, pretty much. Uh, they are always a tough team they are always well coached they run the football they can surprise you every once in a while with a pass usually play good defense but the roster the turnover is is you know uh, an annual uh thing and and uh, you know coming into last year before they had i think there were reports between 35 and 40 guys actually uh, left the academy with withdrew from the academy as a, a i think they call it a turn back uh, where they can sort of reserve a year of eligibility. Usually at, at military academies, you get four and that's it. No redshirting, no super senior, nothing like that. But it sounded like the vast majority of, of those guys, which included more than half of their projected you know, starting lineup defensively, uh, sounds like originally they were planning on coming back. I don't have confirmation yet on that Air Force is always the last team to post a, a fully updated roster. And even during the season last year, there were guys who, uh, you know, were, were scoring touchdowns that weren't listed on the roster. So uh, it, it's always uh, a little bit, if you can't tell, I get a little bit frustrated with Air Force from a updating <laughs> player personnel standpoint. But they're, you know, they're always a good team. It, it seems like they are one of the few teams where it doesn't matter what the name on the back of the jersey says, the, the you know, the, the logo on the side of the helmet, the name on the front of the jersey. You kind of know what you're going to get, and it's a, a team that's going to play tough, that's going to be in, you know, competitive week in and week out, uh, have a, a chance to get back to a bowl game, have a chance to compete with – teams, you know, at least in that mid to upper tier in the Mountain West. I, I don't think that there's really any reason to expect, uh, despite they will have Hazik Daniels back at quarterback. That is a, a certainly a positive sign. But, you know, with with I'm counting three, you know, relatively uh, productive running backs gone. They do get Brad Roberts, who exploded on the scene last year, uh, back for a junior year. Timothy Jackson was banged up. He's he's a, I think uh, their best running back. You know, those two guys certainly are something you can build upon. But the the starting offensive line is, you know, going to be completely new, including a couple of guys who were. I mean, Nolan Loffenberg was an All American candidate, hundred rated player, uh, left guard. So that's a big big miss. Uh, and then. You know, defensively, what are they going to look like? They were they had eleven brand new starters in 2020, but are they going to get four, five, six guys who were starters in 2019 back who uh, you know left the academy last season? I don't know. So I, I think at this point, uh, Air Force is probably just based on the information that we have right now. I'm not going to insert any of those players back into our 
depth charts in, until I get a fully updated roster. So they they aren't going to be you know part of our roster strength numbers. They aren't going to be part of uh, you know those sort of things until I see their name back. But you know because of that, because of you know similar things we've talked about with Army and Navy before, the guys who I, I kind of have to fill the holes with are unrated or two star type players. Air Force is probably going to drop from 56th in our rankings to the 90s or, or something like that, just just based on those numbers. But you know, team performance wise, they're they're consistently good. They're consistently a top, uh, you know, 70, 60, 50 type team. So I wouldn't necessarily expect them to take a huge step back on the field. It's just from a you know personnel and production standpoint at this point i have i have absolutely no clue what what to make of air force so you know even going uh, game by game on the schedule i don't know <laughs> can they they can probably beat anybody on their schedule they could probably lose to to just about anybody except maybe lafayette that one we should probably uh say is a say is a definite win but i don't know air force it's it's way too early uh to sort of know how things are going to shake out personnel wise for them but Similar, I guess, to San Diego State, they're a team that you consistently think is going to be in the mix for for a bowl game. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, uh, your, your thoughts on Air Force? Like Nick said, they're a tough team to figure out here. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right, Nick. It, it's one of those situations where you know this is a team that literally three years ago went five and seven. The very next year, they went eleven and two, and you, and so you know you. you Air Force, every year you come in and you have to ask yourself the question, you know, they're kind of like a Navy, like an Army when it comes to these schools where they could absolutely, like Nick said, they could win and run the table or they could go four and eight. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise us either way. I don't think anybody would be surprised by either thing happening. Uh, I think they're a bowl team. You know, when you look at their schedule, you look at their non-conference schedule, I think outside, I I think they can win every game in their non-conference schedule. Uh, You know, the only games I, I I think are definite losses for them may only be Boise State on the schedule uh, that I, I think pencil in or, you know, a definite loss, maybe Nevada after how highly we praised them earlier in the episode. Uh, but I They think usually play Boise State really tough too every yeah. year. So, so I mean, it, it's very well possible, but I'm going to say this is an eight to nine win ball club. Uh, once again, we could be, I could be completely wrong and they could have four wins in, in December, but or in November, excuse me. But, you know, I, I think that this is at the very least a bowl game, a bowl team, and can get to that eight win mark. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm comfortable saying with Air Force. When it comes to you know academies, we don't really focus on the recruiting trail whatsoever because they don't. It doesn't really matter in that situation. They'll bring a two star, and by the time he's a senior, he'll be one of the best players on their team. So we'll, we'll leave that where it is. But I think this is an eight. To, you know, this can be at most an eight to nine win ball club. All right, the next squad up here is uh, going to be Arkansas, and uh, you know. Uh, Arkansas three and seven last year, another team, great recruiting class, 25th in the nation, but that is only ninth in the SEC, uh, 10 transfers out, three transfers in, uh, they have four returning all conference, uh, players, three on defense, a wide receiver, Traylon Burks is the one on offense linebacker, bumper pool, linebacker, Grant Morgan and safety, Jalen Catalan, all coming back for Arkansas, a bunch of guys leaving for the NFL, including a quarterback, Felipe Franks, running back, Rakeem Boyd. Ed rusher Jonathan Marshall, cornerback Jerry Jacobs, and interior defensive lineman Xavier Kelly. Uh, they did uh, flip a couple coaches here. Kenny Guyton is a new receivers coach. He coached receivers at Colorado State. Uh, Cody Kenny 
Uh, it's a new tight ends coach. He was at Southern Miss uh, coaching tight ends. And Michael Schur is the linebackers coach. He uh, gets a promotion from quality control. And Jamil Ashley, the new defensive line coach, comes over from Tulsa. So what do we think about Sam Pittman at, at Arkansas and uh, potentially moving them up and getting them uh, to have a better record in the SEC, which is always tough in 2021, Nick? Yeah, I, I think that it will be tough to uh, I mean, not, not necessarily, I, I, it's, it's, sorry, my, my mind always works on, you know, every college football season being the same. And of course, 2020 is not the same. So I'm thinking right. like, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for Arkansas to, to improve record wise. Just, just thinking about, because I, I felt that they overachieved in 2020. And, and usually that's sort of my, my base is okay. This team, took a step forward one year, you know, don't necessarily assume that momentum is going to keep going. It's it's certainly possible you take a small step back before you can go forward again. But because Arkansas overachieved against a 10-team SEC schedule and because they lost a couple of close games, including one uh, really fluky, you could argue, you know, kind of got a, a win stolen from them game. Uh, maybe Arkansas can continue to, to take a big step forward. Maybe we should expect that because, you know, the schedule lightens up a little bit. Uh, they played one of the most difficult schedules in college football last season. I mean, it, it was just absolutely brutal weekend, week out. When, when the schedules were released, I remember thinking, okay, Vanderbilt, zero wins, no problem. Arkansas, are they going to win a game? You know, and and not only did they, uh, one, they gave Georgia a, a real scare for, you know, at least, what, three quarters last year. Uh, that game was a lot closer than its final score. And then turn around, beat Mississippi State the week after Mississippi State, beat, you know, defending national champion top five LSU. They uh, should have probably gotten the win against Auburn. They beat Ole Miss, you know, intercepted Matt Corral six times in that game, uh, played Texas A&M close, played Florida close. Well, not really close, but, you know, put 35 points up on Florida, played LSU really, really close. Missouri was a, one of the best games of the year, 50-48. Uh, heartbreaker where they scored up, you know, the winning, looked like the winning touchdown uh, and, and then end up giving up a, a game-winning field goal in that game and, and just ran out of gas and ran into Alabama in, in the final. But, uh, you know, Arkansas, really impressive job. Sam Pittman, really, really impressive. Uh, you know, we know he was fourth, fifth maybe on the list as far as uh, head coaching uh, candidates in that search, but seems to be a perfect fit, seems to be building the team in a, a – you know, really good way. I think that the the areas where there is a little bit of concern, offensive line play, they weren't great. You know, they were 91st last year in our offensive line performance uh, ratings. They get four starters back on the offensive line. And Sam Pittman, I think if he's not the best offensive line coach in college football, he's on a very short list. Uh, so I think that unit is going to improve. Traylon Burks is, you know, all SEC type receiver, future pro. I mean, he's a guy that that I know a lot of NFL talent 
evaluators and, and NFL draft media are, are already getting really, really excited about. And there's other super experienced you know, receivers on the roster as well. You know, KJ Jefferson has waited patiently behind uh, starters the last couple of years, was able to, to get in. He played 128 snaps, has two career starts. You know, now he's uh, the guy to, to step in, become the full-time quarterback. I think he's ready. Traylon Smith at running back. We got to see him get a, a really, you know, heavy workload as the year went on. And Rakeem Boyd ended up opting out. So offensively, I, I think there certainly is reason to think that Arkansas will get better. Defensively, you know, they are losing two impact players, maybe three really impact players on the defensive line, a defensive line that ranked 121st in our defensive line performance rating. So that's a unit that that I have some concerns about. But the back seven brings back everybody, including all ACC linebackers, Bumpel Pool, Grant Morgan, incredibly, incredibly productive. Jalen Catalan is you know, an All-American safety, probably going to be a, a preseason All-American at safety, and he's one of five returning starters on defense. So, you know, the, uh, Arkansas is certainly a team on the rise. And if they had to play last year, you know, last season's uh, 10-team SEC schedule, I would be very, very cautious expecting them to win more games, but they don't have to play that schedule again. They do have to play Georgia in the crossover on the road, which is going to be tough. And of course, you know, the, the uh, SEC West there. So there are certainly very, very difficult games. They do draw Texas in the non-conference, even though that game is at home, have to expect Texas will be a favorite of at least a, a you know touchdown or so, but game against Rice is winnable. Game against Georgia Southern is winnable. And, you know, Auburn, I think, might take a little bit of a step back. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, those are, are games you can win. Missouri, that's a game you can win. So I think Arkansas can be a bowl team. It's just we might not see a huge jump as far as wins. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the schedule is much, much more manageable. And then you're going to have to go in and, and beat some teams that, you know, maybe took a little bit of a step back, didn't take you quite as seriously or, or whatever the reason was. 2020, you know, shorter rosters, lack of depth, all that sort of thing factor in. It's going to be tough for Arkansas to uh, to to be a bowl team. I think they certainly can be. I think they will be an improved team. And I think that along, you know, the line of scrimmage, I have some concerns because, of the uh, statistical numbers that they put up last year and our team performance numbers that they put up last year. But I have a lot of faith in Sam Pittman that he's going to get the offensive line figured out. And I think Barry Odom's one of the best defensive coordinators in, in college football. So I think they're going to take a step forward on the defensive line, despite, you know, some personnel turnover there. So I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about Arkansas football in 2021. I just don't think, you know, fans shouldn't get, carried away thinking this is a top 25 team just yet. Xavier, I, I, what do you think? Can Arkansas go bowling? You, you think they're a, a bowl team this year? I don't see why not. I, I really don't. I, I think this is an Arkansas team that, yes, to Nick's credit, I think they were a year too early. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Felipe Franks transferred in and really helped that offense take a step. You know, when you have a guy come in that played at Florida for, you know, two years and comes in, throws 2,100 yards, 17 touchdowns, but more importantly, only had four INTs, that was a safe pair of hands to put 
at, at the quarterback position that you knew week in and week out he was going to give you the utmost, his utmost best. Uh, and so that's a bit of a question mark going into this year, especially at the quarterback position, that I'm not so sure, you know, if he hadn't have been there last year, if they are able to have the same success. Uh, going into this year, their schedule for me is very, for them is very favorable. They do get Georgia out of the East, in my opinion, but they don't get, you know, they don't get Florida. They're not having to face that, you know, they don't, they don't get a gauntlet out of the East. Let's put it that way. And personally, I think that they can make a bowl game simply, simply because I think out of outside of the top teams, Georgia and Alabama, everybody else, in my opinion, takes a significant step back. And excuse me, and Texas. I think Texas A&M takes a step back without Kellen Mond. We talked about whether or not LSU can't even take the step forward after such a dismal lit year last year. Can Auburn return back to a better form after last year? I don't think so. I think they've, they've lost more talent offensively that they won't be able to replenish uh, with with Schwartz and Williams leaving this year as well. Uh, and Tank Bigsby gone, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Uh, I am mistaken there. I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I think Auburn also isn't able to come with, you know, the same – you know, and they lost – a couple of DBs on their back end as well. So I think that they will benefit from those games as well. So I think six wins, six or seven wins is a very possible thing for Arkansas going into this year. The biggest question mark for me is their quarterback position because they have Felipe Franks last year. Can they, you know, I'm not expecting the next guy to come in and have the same, you know, experience or same productivity that Felipe Franks had, but I am asking him to come in and take care of the ball more. I love what Sam Pittman is doing down there. We already know that he's one heck of a recruiter. You know, he is he's, he's going to take Arkansas out of the basement of the SEC recruiting-wise. He's already started that. And I think that they are poised to be a better team. When it's, with them being in the SEC West, I think it's a little unfavorable for them. I honestly think if they were an East team, this is an eight-win ball club. If they were an East team. Unfortunately, you do have to face the West every year with with the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Auburns. But I genuinely think if Arkansas was in the East, we're talking about a seven day win ball club. I think that they're they're that good, and more importantly, they're that well coached compared to a lot of the teams in the East. I think when you go, unfortunately for them, they do have to see Saban and and, and company. That's the only reason why I have them at only a five to six win ball club going into next year. All right, one one quick thing before we move on. I'm I'm out of practice because I'm not used to having uh, you know, 2021 stuff ready, but we're making making quick progress here and in, in Arkansas I do have some early projections. We have them favored in 5 games, but two of those are by less than one and a half points. So, uh, we do have them favored against Rice and Georgia Southern in the non-conference, and of course, uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff uh, FCS. So, you know, three non-conference wins makes a lot of sense. And then we do have them favored against Mississippi State and Missouri, uh, but, you know, both of those by a, a point or a point and a half, 52% thereabouts win percentage. You, you expect on average they'll win one of those two games. And then you have to pull, you know, have to pull an upset to, to get back to ball eligibility. So, you know, it's it's certainly possible but early early numbers indicate that uh, it, it, you know they will be a, a an underdog to get to bowl eligibility. Uh, all right, so going to the next team, and like we said before, we weren't done with the Mountain West. After this team, uh, we will be done with the Mountain West. But this is the fourth Mountain West team in this uh, group of teams. San Jose State, the seven and one last year, lost the Arizona Bowl, thirty four thirteen to Ball State. Uh, 121st ranked recruiting class, which is kind of surprising seeing how well they finished 10th 
in the Mountain West. Five transfers out, one in. They do return a bunch of all-conference players. Quarterback Nick Starkle, wide receiver Bailey Gaither, uh, left tackle Jack Snyder, defensive end Cade Hall, uh, defensive end Junior uh, Fayoko, and safety Trey Jenkins all come back. Uh, wide receiver Trey Walker has gone off to the NFL. they got a couple new coaches. Eric Scott, the new co-offensive coordinator and receivers coach, uh, got uh, moved over from Nevada. And then Rob Kristoff, the new outside linebackers coach, who was an assistant O-line coach uh, with the Seattle Dragons last season in the uh, defunct now uh, XFL. But uh, San Jose State finished really well, made a bowl game. Surprising to see they had such a low recruiting class, but they got a lot of returning talent here, Nick. So what do you think about San Jose State going into 2021? Yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly not a big time recruiting guy, but when you have a team that takes an unexpected leap forward because recruiting is, you know, a, a longer than a year process, two year process, what have you, it's difficult to make a, a big jump to really capitalize immediately. But I would expect that they're going to be moving in the right direction based off the, the success they had last year. And then plus they bring a ton of guys back. You mentioned all the all conference players, you know, Trey Walker is, is gone. He, he initially uh, looked like he was going to transfer to Mississippi state, but then opted to, to go to the NFL instead. He's really the only, uh, you know, big time name that, that I'm seeing that's not going to be back. They have a few transfers scattered about, as you mentioned, but not really any you know major uh, impact players. So getting Nick Starkle back for a second year as a starter, he was uh, one of those all conference players. Was the uh, you know we look at at transfers and, and think okay this guy was a starter in the SEC. He's uh, going to be really highly rated. You know is that going to make San Jose State take a big leap? And, you know, this time it, it worked out. I mean, he's a guy who uh, will be a super senior, will be a 90-rated player, put up five production points last year, solid overall season, really helped uh, elevate the level, I think, of, of uh, just, you know, just sort of gave San Jose State uh, a, a, a real – bit of, of consistency in the quarterback position. Uh, not that they didn't have it before, and they certainly had weapons. Bailey Gaither, who will be back, is is another uh, quality, quality player. Derek Deese Jr. took a big step forward as a tight end last year, uh, and they've got some playmakers at, at running back as well. What I was most impressed with was the step forward that they took defensively. And guys like Cade Hall, uh, Junior Fajico, I mean, those, those guys were so productive. Both had over 20 production points last season. And, and you know, they're, hey, uh, Hall is a 100-rated player now. Uh, Fajoko is a 94, almost a 95-rated player. So when he gets his experience update uh, after playing, you know, uh, last season, he, he's going to be a 97-rated player when we kick off in, in 2021. So that is a great, great building block up front. A couple of guys in, uh, you know, scattered throughout uh, were, were uh, just in, you know, unexpected performers defensively, shall we say, you know, I, I didn't really see 
uh, Ali Mateo coming out and, and being a, a playmaker at, at linebacker. He's somebody who was an unrated player, had to give him a, a bump up in our numbers. You know, they, they brought in Kenyon Reed as a transfer last season from Kansas State. He ends up becoming uh, somebody they can plug and play right away in the secondary, really help that unit take a big step forward. Trey Jenkins wasn't a returning starter, ends up becoming an all Mountain West type performer. And then defensively, you know, San Jose State uh, had taken some steps forward, excuse me, offensively under Britt Brennan, but nobody, I don't think, expected them to be legitimately a top 40 defense. And pretty much in every statistical category, you know, they were 38th in yards per play allowed defensively, 36th in EPA per play on defense. They were 23rd in points per drive allowed, 15th in yards per play allowed. So, you know, uh, just depending category after category, they're putting up statistical numbers that uh, we're used to seeing San Jose State in the triple digits from the 80s or the 90s. So that was a huge, huge step forward. I think it's it, it's similar to what I said before uh, about a team that took, you know, such a step forward like in Arkansas. It's difficult for me to, to you know, I, I, I caution getting carried away and thinking, okay, this was defending Mountain West champs. They've got so much coming back. Be, be a little cautious. Yes, they can certainly uh, compete. I think they've proven that they're, you know, one of the best teams in the Mountain West. Obviously, they won it last year. They were, they were the best team. I don't think they're going to be our preseason favorite. I don't think they should be your preseason Mountain West favorite uh, because – you know, maybe they arrived a year early and it's difficult to repeat in that sort of situation. They certainly can. It's not like the schedule is taking a huge step forward. Uh, they do have to play at USC. They do play a tough Western Michigan team who's one of the more talented uh, MAC teams in, in the country, somebody who we actually even actually haven't talked about yet. So they're, they're you know, would be favored over San Jose State uh, were they to play next week. But you know, they're, they're going to be challenged weekly in the Mountain West. They are not the dominant team by any stretch. They don't have to play Boise State in the regular season, but I think at this point we would expect Boise State to be favored if they were to meet in the Mountain West championship game again. I think there's every chance that they would be an underdog at Nevada in November, uh, and, and, you know, it's going to be a toss-up against San Diego State. Colorado State's probably going to be a little bit tougher next year. I think Utah State is a team that's going to be much improved. I think Fresno State might be kind of a dark horse contender. So don't be at all shocked if San Jose State, you know, doesn't repeat as, as Mountain West champions, doesn't take a, a step forward toward becoming, you know, a, a uh, what is it, the the, the New Year's Six uh, representative. And it's it's possible, absolutely, because they bring back a lot of talented players, a lot of production, a lot of experience. But I think that the margin of error last year was small enough. You know, they had some close calls. Uh, they were able to, to pull off some upsets and, and kind of sneak up on some teams here and there. They're not going to sneak up on um, on anybody next year. So, you know, I, I think that this is a bowl caliber team. I think this absolutely is a Mountain West title contender. But 
you know, don't be shocked if this is a seven and five team, you know, low tier bowl type team, maybe get the eight wins. You know, I, I think it really, really expressed. There's reason to be cautious. Don't expect a double digit winning season. Certainly could happen, but I think that that would be a, a bit of a surprise given, you know, our numbers and, and sort of what we expect, even based on what they bring back. Xavier, what are your thoughts for San Jose State uh, for 2021? Uh, should we have tempered expectations or do they have enough talent to uh, run it back again? I think they have enough. See, I think they have enough talent to run it back again. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think this is a team that can compete once again for the Mountain West Conference. Yes, we are. We, 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 Boise State is the most talented team in the conference, I think, year in and year out. But unlike what I was talking about, you know, just a few minutes ago with Arkansas. Nick Starkle, once again, was one of those guys that you knew game in and game out he was going to give you a consistent play. He's coming back. And I think, like I said, unlike with Arkansas losing Felipe Franks to the draft, Nick Starkle coming back is a huge reason why I think that they can continue, you know, maybe not seven in one, you know, or seven in, or an undefeated season. But, you know, because they play USC at USC, and I don't know if they think they're going to win that ball game. But outside of that, I really think they can run the table. I think outside of that game at Nevada, and you know, I've been, you know, when when that game happens, I think both teams will probably be at either one loss or undefeated coming into that ball game. That's going to be the the game of the year for both teams more than likely, and, and we'll probably decide who plays Boise State in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. Uh, but I see, I don't see any reason as to why they can't. They return so much production all over the field. Yes, they lose Trey Walker, which is a huge loss for them. Don't get me wrong. But when you have a senior, a super senior quarterback, you can kind of temper that loss at the receiver position by having a a, a very, you know, a, an older quarterback who can guide some of these younger receivers uh, while he's out there. Because he's only losing him. Bailey Gaith- Gaither comes back. Isaiah Hamilton comes back and, and there are still some other guys who will be going into their junior year in that receiving core that will have to step up this year. But when you have a super senior quarterback, like a Nick Starkle, he can go ahead and guide those guys a little bit better than let's say a freshman quarterback with also a younger receiving core. So I'm not too worried about them losing Trey Walker in the sense that they, you know, yes, he's going to be a heck of return returning production to try to, you know, to try to fix going into next year, but not as bad as if they had a younger quarterback. I don't see why San Jose can San Jose State cannot, uh, you know, replicate what they did last year and run the table and be a Mountain West Conference champion, uh, at least appearance. And to answer your question, kind of what Nick said about the the recruiting trail, when you surprise everybody, you surprise kids too. They were they're not thinking, oh well, yeah, let me go to San Jose State. They're you know, so they've already made their commitments. They've already made you know a lot of these kids have already you know decided where they're gonna go and just. San Jose State all of a sudden having an amazing year catches them by surprise just as much as it catches us by surprise as well. You know, um, so I like San Jose State. I like where they're trending, you know, and this year, in my opinion, is going to be the year that makes or breaks their next three to four years. If they can continue on this route and they can continue, you know, they can contend and maybe even win the Mountain West for a back to back years. That'll set the stage for their recruiting classes to really change over the next three to four years where they can continue this kind of success going forward because they're going to have to because we just talked about how Nevada is recruiting very well. So they're going to have to catch up in that regard. And the way to do that is by winning games firstly and then being able to do it on the recruiting truck second. All right. Time to row the boat on over to Minnesota where uh, PJ Flex squad was. Uh, three and four last year, 38th ranked recruiting class is what they're bringing in. That's only eighth in the big 10 
eight transfers out, seven transfers in, including a four-star uh, Texas A&M wide receiver in Dylan Wright and four-star uh, Clemson defensive tackle Niles uh, Pinckney. Uh, quarterback uh, Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim are returning. They were all conference last season. They are losing some big players to the NFL draft and wide receiver Rashad Bateman, who could be a first-round pick and cornerback Benjamin St. Eustay. Uh, to the draft. What do you think about Minnesota going into 2021, Nick? Uh, are they, they've got a, I, I think they've got enough juice to improve in the Big Ten here. So Minnesota, in a lot of ways, last year is, is sort of what I had in mind when I'm thinking about San Jose State, quite honestly, because Minnesota took a huge step forward, double-digit wins in 2019, kind of caught people a little bit by surprise. I mean, there, there were certainly reasons to be optimistic, but few people expected 10 wins. And, and you know, Tanner Morgan took a big step forward as a uh, first year, really first full year starting quarterback. Some other names kind of popped out. Uh, they were losing. Yeah. So they, they just, they, they arrived. People knew they were trending in the right direction, but kind of were a little too much too soon. Weren't really maybe a, a uh, you know, uh, if, if schedules had been a little bit different, probably wouldn't have won 10 games, had some fortunate uh, timing, had some, uh, you know, fortunate schedule that was a little more manageable than maybe every year. And then last season, of course, everything being, being super strange, but uh, we saw a little bit of a step back when people had gotten so excited about Minnesota. I mean, they when they opened up against Michigan, that was a ranked versus ranked matchup. And then, you know, uh, in some ways it was a little bit fortunate that they got uh, – it wasn't a, a complete blowout, but it was they – were, they were not the best team on the field that night, and it became pretty clear that, okay, maybe Minnesota – isn't a top 25 type team. Let's temper our expectations a little bit. And so it wasn't a, you know, just huge, huge letdown when they lost a couple of other games. It, very, very close. Lost in overtime to Maryland, lost in overtime to Wisconsin at the end. Uh, and then they were very, very fortunate to get a win against Purdue, kind of a phantom uh, pass interference call, uh, kind of helped seal that game for them. But Minnesota was a team that I, I think, Last year, we saw a little bit uh, more. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. I mean, what are we, hour three and a half uh, together today? <laughs> it is uh, a marathon today. We we're talking to you from the future. This is Tuesday. <laughs> but uh, so Minnesota in 2020 took a step back, but they were very similar, you know, had a lot of the same players that were part of that 10 win 2019 season. Yeah. Bateman, uh, you know, ended up opting out, opting back in, opting out again. That was, uh, you know, not a perfect situation, uh, but for the most part, you know, and losing Tyler Johnson, of course, and, and, you know, some depth at running back, but the running back position and, and the running game wasn't an issue at all, but the defense was very, very much a problem. I mean, Minnesota ranked 99th in yards per uh, yards per play allowed. They were 121st out of 127 teams in expected points added per play defensively, 98th points per drive allowed, 80th in yards per pass attempt allowed, and then 123rd in success rate against. So 
you know, teams could run at will against Minnesota, and, and then they, you know, still had some success uh, through the air as well, even with, you know, uh, a likely draftable corner out there. So uh, I, I think that Minnesota has, uh, you know, there, there's reason to, to be optimistic based on the success they had two years ago. They do still have Tanner Morgan. They do still have Mo Ibrahim. Uh, they do still have, you know, they seem to to bring wide receiver year in, year out, uh, whether the top guy is is back or not. The offensive line is back full strength, plus they will be getting back uh, Daniel Falele, who was a starter in 2019, who did not play last season. Uh, they will get Curtis Dunlap back, who was a starter who was injured a large part of last season. And then they were a team that towards the end of the year, I mean, they, they had 33 players that they weren't able to, you know, suit up against Nebraska in that win. So, you know, they were a team that was dealing with some shorthanded, you know, position groups throughout the course of the year as well. So I'm absolutely rambling, but <laughs> last year in some ways their step back, I think was, something we could have predicted because in 2019, I think they uh, made too big of a jump too soon. On the other hand, you know, the step back in some ways was uh, an impact of a change in schedule of some personnel issues due to COVID, whether it's players opting in or out or, or whether it's because of players not being available in a, in a particular game. So because of, of both of those, you know, both of those things, I see a wide range of possibilities for Minnesota. I think they are talented. I think they are a team that, you know, I, I do have respect for PJ Fleck as far as, you know, a recruiter, as far as also getting his guys ready to play. You know, I, I think that uh, they are going to be in the mix in the Big Ten West. Uh, I would not say that, you know, I, I wouldn't expect them right now to be the favorite over Iowa or even Wisconsin, but you know, those are two of the last three games of the year and they do kick off against Ohio state. I think we can expect that to be a loss, even though it's at home, but pretty much everything there in the middle is winnable. So, you know, do you go into that November 13th game at Iowa with a, you know, uh, with a one in in the uh, loss column, or you know, did you slip up and lose to a Purdue, or you know, road game against Colorado could be a little bit tricky. Home against Nebraska at Northwestern; those are all games that you know it, it's not inconceivable that Minnesota loses you know one of those or two of those. But it's absolutely possible that aside from Ohio State. You know, you could win every game until you go to Iowa in November. So it's a team that I think the potential is there to be a top 25 team. But I think also the potential is there to just sort of, you know, win one here, lose one here, win two, lose one, and kind of just sort of play close to 500 until bowl eligibility is on the line in those last three weeks. And then you're, you know, playing some teams that that you don't have a talent advantage against. So Minnesota's a tricky team, I think, for me to to sort of project at this point. I, I think there's a lot to like about the production coming back on offense, and then that defense is at least experienced. And we know, you know, Xavier's favorite saying, but uh, I, I think there's reason to expect that they will 
take a little bit of a step forward defensively statistically, but you know, there were, there were some major issues last year. So how big of a step forward defensively can they make? So it's, it's tough. I, I think they should be a bowl team. I think they are capable of competing with, with Iowa and Wisconsin, but I think they're pretty clearly no better than third in the big 10 West at, at this point in the early off season. Xavier, your thoughts on Minnesota for this season? I mean, like Nick said, they're a team that seems like they can go uh, one way or the other. And that's kind of what yeah. we have in the power five in this kind of grouping is teams that are looking like they could rank at the back end of their conference. Uh, and then in the G5, the teams that are going to be pretty high in their conference. So right. where do you see Minnesota right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was weird because last year you, you look at the Minnesota team and you're like, okay, they had a really good 2019 and coming into 2020, especially with how poor the rest of or the top teams in the Big Ten were last year, you would have expected a team like Minnesota to maybe go five and two, uh, maybe even six and one. You know, but they lost to that really, really. They got stomped by that really bad Michigan's team uh, last year. You know, yes, they, you know, they were competitive in a lot of their outfits, but they had some embarrassing losses. The one to Michigan, obviously, the one to Iowa. Uh, maybe we didn't know how good Maryland was going to be last year, so the game against uh, that they lost in overtime was a little bit of a surprise too. Um, and then they were able to compete at the end of the year. They lost, you know, a close one to Wisconsin. But you know, going into twenty twenty one, once again, I'm looking at the offense to be the reason why they are competing at a high level. I think that was what we looked at coming into this past year. You know, we looked at Tanner Morgan, we looked at uh, Ibrahim, we looked at Rashad Bateman coming into twenty twenty, and it's kind of the same. Well, Rashad Bateman's gone, but we're looking at Chris Ottman Bell to be the guy to step up now and be the guy at Minnesota. And offensively, we're expecting them to take that next step. You know, I think the only difference is maybe defensively, we're expecting them to be a little bit better than what they were in 2020. Uh, they're bringing back some all-conference guys, and that's really big for them, especially a couple of super seniors on the defensive line. Uh, but outside of that, you know, how good they are in 2021 is really a reflection of some of the teams that had a down year last year. How much better will they be coming into twenty? You know, into twenty twenty one. You know, how much better will will Wisconsin be this year? You know, they were pretty poor at times last year, and they and they were able to beat them. How much better is an Iowa this year with a full off season? How much better is a Maryland this year, the team that they lost to going into last year? Because I think there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten that can take that added step where they had maybe a down year or a mediocre year in 2020, that can make a step in 2021 where they could end up leaving Minnesota kind of in the dust and in the rearview mirror. You know, we talked about Northwestern on Tuesday about how much they lose defensively in the secondary, but can they take that next step? You know, can they be even better offensively than what they were last year? And yes, they're going to, you know, be a little bit worse defensively, but can they maybe be a better overall team going into next year as well? So I think that is where I look with Minnesota is where, is how much better will some of their middle teams be in the Big Ten as opposed to last season? That's why I think they're more of a of a five win ball club, maybe borderline six and seven. Uh, but one who scheduled Ohio State to start the year? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how you end up with that. You know, we talk about all the non conference schedules that we talked about, and they start with Ohio State on September second. Like, I don't. That's the that's the conference. Uh, that's the that's. Uh, what is the HQ uh, decided? Yeah, 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 I would be very upset about that one. Uh, you know, then they then they get Miami, Ohio. I do Colorado. get it at home, and you know, Ohio State new quarterback. All that. Come, come maybe, on, maybe maybe if you're going to play Ohio State, that's the time to do it. But yeah, I, I, 
you know, I, I think that, you know, you look at their schedule, and I think that it's very favorable after the Ohio State game. They get four games in a row that I genuinely think they can win with Miami of Ohio at Colorado, Bowling Green at Purdue. And then the tough games come, and the, and the more of the toss-up games come after that. This is why I think they're a five-win ball club, because after the Purdue game on October 2nd, they have a bye week, and after that, I think every game from then is either a toss-up or a guaranteed loss. Nebraska, toss-up. Maryland, toss-up. At Northwestern, I think it's a loss for them right now um, until I see Northwestern, you know, until Northwestern proves me otherwise. I think the Illinois game is how they maybe get that fifth or sixth win going into this year at Iowa, at Indiana, and to finish with Wisconsin, that's one hell of a way to finish your November. And I just don't think that they win any of those games either. So I think there's a five-win ball club. Um, but on the recruiting trail, they're getting better. P.J. Fleck is a great recruiter. We all know this. He's able to get kids that, you know, otherwise would not sign to a school that is that plays in weather like you play in Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, I, I like this team to be a six-win ball club going into next year. All right. So the next team up here is Memphis and – um, Memphis, uh, last year, eight and three beat FAU in the Montgomery bowl, 46 ranked recruiting class, second in the AAC, uh, 17 transfers out, 10 transfers in and a bunch of four stars for them, uh, out of high school. Um, I think Xavier, correct me if I'm wrong. Do they lose some steam in the transfer portal as far as what they're ranked? Because I see their, uh, high school ranking and then they have a different ranking in the transfer portal, right? They like lose stars or something. Yeah. So if, so what two, four, seven has been doing is they'll update a high schoolers rankings in college. So if he was a four star coming out, but he's performed like a three star, they'll actually drop him a star in college. And so it won't, you know, so yeah. So, so yeah, the recruiting class just doesn't look like they got a bunch, a big haul of four stars, but these guys were four star recruits coming out of high school. And that includes LSU quarterback Peter Parrish, Arkansas wide receiver Shamar Nash, uh, Michigan State offensive tackle Devontae Dobbs, TCU offensive tackle Austin Myers, Michigan State cornerback Julian Barrett. All of these guys transferring into Memphis came out of high school as four stars. Lost right. a little steam. That's why they're transferring. But uh, it's interesting the transfers that they brought in while losing 17 players. Uh, but they do return two all-conference players from the AAC last year in wide receiver Calvin Austin and Quin- safety Quindell Johnson. A bunch of uh, offensive talent going off to the NFL. Uh, Brady White, Kenneth Gainwell, and Demonte Coxie all gone. So, uh, Nick, what, what are your thoughts on Memphis uh, going into 2021 here? Because it looks like they're bringing in some talent. They lost a lot, though, uh, to transfers and to the NFL. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit torn and I think I think I'm leaning toward being pretty pessimistic about Memphis. Uh, they they were, you know, they've consistently uh, through the last really the whole little Mike Norvell era there uh were among the best teams in the American, spent a lot of time, you know, ranked in the top 25. They still have a 17 game home winning streak. So, you know, won eight games last year, certainly still a team to be reckoned with, but it wasn't necessarily a super impressive eight win season. You know, they, they beat UCF by a point. I mean, that's, that's something we thought UCF was a top 15 team coming into last season. They end up being a little bit of a disappointment, but you know, excellent game, 50 to 49, a ton of fun, but get a 1.1 win there. They also beat USF by one point. They beat, 
you know, Houston, who uh, had more stops and starts than any other team and, and kind of, I think, was just mentally exhausted by the end of the year, beat them by three. They beat Navy 10 to seven and, and not a good Navy team. So, you know, they got blown out by Cincinnati, just completely, completely blown out. And, and you know, it's just I, I wasn't super impressed with them last year and then losing Brady White, who on the one hand was a highly rated former four-star power five transfer, comes in, has a great career, all-time leading passer, what have you. But, you know, then on, on the other, you're, you're losing him, you're replacing him with, you know, is it Grant Gunnell? Is it Peter Parrish? I really like some things I saw, you know, out of Grant Grinnell at, at Arizona in 2019. I like Parrish's skill set. Is it, you know, is one of those guys going to be the right fit or, or are they all going to mesh together? They couldn't run the ball for most of the the second half of last year, and we we expect Memphis, you know, year in and year out, to be among the best uh, running teams, especially in the American. Certainly, you know, among the the G five, and they have some talented running backs, and they just weren't really able to to get going late in the year. Uh, but they do bring Rodriguez Clark back, Asa Martin transfer from. Uh, Auburn and, and Miami, uh, you know, he, I think will get a little bit more of a heavy workload. And then Kylan Watkins has, has had some, you know, spurts here and there. I do really like their group of receivers. Calvin Austin, the third was, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, had a huge year, 14 production points for us. Taj Washington had seven, which is a high number for a receiver as a redshirt freshman, uh, you know, and, and, Javon Ivory had a pretty good year. Sean Dykes was one of the more athletic, exciting tight ends in the country. Really just sort of a, a big receiver, undersized tight end type guy. But all of those players are back, and and you think that they're not really going to lose a ton uh, because DeMonte Coxey opted out pretty early on last year because Pop Williams never uh, you know made it onto the field. You think that that group is going to be – able to to give whoever that quarterback is coming in a lot of options to work with. But I'm a little bit concerned with some of the big names that decided to leave via the transfer report. I'm a little bit concerned about the offensive line. They're losing a Benny Izzy, who, uh, you know, was one of the, the best players in the transfer portal. He ends up going to TCU. You mentioned the two guys that they're bringing in, you know, to replace him, but it's difficult to to expect whoever's coming in uh, to replace a guy that was a multi-year starter and one of the best recruits you ever had in in school history. Then looking on the other side of the football, I'm really concerned they're losing uh, Joseph Dorsius, who's a 100-rated player, entered the the transfer portal. I think probably, you know, at least production-wise, was was good enough to uh, maybe get a look had he decided to enter the NFL draft, he is undersized, but, you know, a guy that has played a ton, put up a, a lot of, uh, you know, filled the stat sheet for a defensive lineman, we should say, but he's in the transfer portal. They also lost TJ Carter, former starter. You know, he's a, a guy that's very, very close to a 100 rated player, played over 40 games at Memphis. You know, why are, why are, guys who are multi-year starters who you would think you know are, are probably locker room leaders type type guys or at least you know on paper I don't know personalities uh, but the guys who are 
you know, you pencil in to the starting lineup week in and week out and you have for years, why are those guys transferring? And, you know, maybe they want a, a power five opportunity. Maybe they, you know, want to win a national championship and decide, okay, we can't do that at Memphis, but Memphis has been a top 25 team has been a conference title contender team has played in the new year six bowl just two years ago. So, you know, you can do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of those great things can win a lot of games at Memphis. Why are, are some of the players who have been key to that success who you would expect, you know, coming back and, and make this potentially a top 25 all, you know, uh, an AAC title contender type team. Why are those guys leaving? That that makes me a little bit nervous. And yeah, I know you're bringing in some re- talented guys, and I know Memphis has had some success in the transfer portal, and and they are a little bit of a, a transient program in some ways. Rely on junior college guys, rely on transfers. They've had a lot of success. It's very difficult to maintain success, though, when that is what you go to year in and year out. And so I just wonder, are they going to kind of, you know, are they going to miss on a guy or or two uh, that they're bringing in and and really expecting to fill some of these holes and, and, you know, that those holes even exist at all with these guys who, who could have come back? That that makes me a little bit nervous about Memphis, but there is. Absolutely. I mentioned those guys uh, on offense to be excited about. Morris Joseph had a, a huge year, uh, an interior defensive lineman. I mean, he's a, a over a 90 rated player, uh, had 17 production points last year. Linebacker Thomas Pickens had eight production points. Uh, Quindell Johnson, safety, all AAC performer, 12 production points. So, you know, they've got guys coming back and, and I think that they will be, they won't, you know, see a huge drop off unless something behind the scenes that we can't uh, account for is kind of moving in the wrong direction there. It, it's possible, you know, I, 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 this is just pure speculation on my part, but it's possible that something's just not quite right, um, whether it's in the locker room, whether it's in the coaching staff, relationships, something. I just, I kind of, my my spider sense to that sort of thing pops up when I see, three-year starters, seniors enter the transfer portal for what should be really successful teams. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully, you know, these guys just wanted a change of scenery or or maybe to play at a power five level or, or what have you. But I, I'm a little bit concerned about Memphis. I think that, you know, the, the non-conference schedule is pretty tough. It's a little tougher than you might think with only one power five. Uh, school on the the non-conference schedule. The American, I think, is going to be fascinating. There could be six, seven title contenders. I mean, it's it's a pretty strong uh, conference, a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, uh, evenly matched conference from, from top to bottom. And Memphis plays a lot of the big names, Houston, SMU, UCF, Tulsa coming off such a, a strong year last year. Tulane is, is always difficult. So it's, it's, uh, a team Memphis that could put up double digit wins again, could compete in the, in the American, but if something is a little bit off or, or maybe even rotten, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, behind the scenes, it's sort of a schedule that one loss can lead to two can lead to three. And then all of a sudden you're a 500 team when, when you think you probably should be a double digit winning team. So I, I long winded way of saying, 
I don't really know what to expect for Memphis this year. Uh, Xavier, I mean, where, where are you with Memphis? You know, traditionally really good team losing a lot, adding a lot of moving pieces here. What do you think, uh, for the Tigers this season? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be too worried about, you know, the future at Memphis, but, but when you, you can, you can't hit that many times in a row on amazing coaches back to back to back to back. I mean, you, you get Fuente, then, I mean, Daryl Dickey becomes interim and then you hit on Norvell right after that. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a seven year stretch for, for a G5 team in Memphis that was pretty much in the basement before those two got there, you know? And, and so for you to have those two guys come in and have the success in which they did, you know, to an extent, maybe you return back to earth a little bit, you know, at the, you know, yes, you've, you've created a, a foundation, but how long is that foundation going to last when the guys who created it are no longer there? You know, so, so, you know, you know, so to Nick's credit, yes, you know, older guys, a part of Memphis are leaving, but that might just simply because, you know, Norvell is no longer there and they didn't, you know, vibe with Silverfield. And that's, you know, that, that, that can happen. You know, the mass exoduses can happen when uh, such ingrained cultures leave like a Norvell does. You know, so it's, it's very well possible that that's the case. Um, when, I, when I look at Memphis going into 21, though, I, I see a team that once again is going to be a team that we look at around that three, you know, that third or fourth best team in, in the AAC kind of conversation. You know, when, when I look at their schedule, it's very favorable. It's it's somewhat favorable, excuse me, to start the year off. They start at Arkansas State, which is a team that we – or they start, excuse me, with Nichols and then at Arkansas State, two teams that I think they can win, uh, they can beat, excuse me, Mississippi State is a game that I think is it's a very, it's a good barometer game for them. They typically play the SEC actually pretty well, especially Mississippi teams. Uh, so – that's, a, that's typically a barometer for me where Memphis is going to be in the AAC, how well they compete against one of the teams. And they typically play a Mississippi team, which I think is, is kind of cool as well. Uh, then they see UTSA and then at Temple. I think that's a, that's a stretch right there that they can go 4-1, and one, you know, 5-0 and oh, quite possibly if they were to get over Mississippi State. And then we get to, you know, the Tulsa's, you know, which we'll talk about, you know, the SMUs, the Houston's. They do get lucky that they do miss, miss both. Oh, excuse me. They do get lucky that they miss Cincinnati this year, which I think is the best team in the AAC this year. Uh, but they do still have to see UCF as well. I think this is a team that can win seven to eight games. You know, I'm not going to say, once again, I think they're one of the third or fourth best teams in the AAC going into this year, maybe right around that, you know, that Tulsa range uh, of best teams coming into this year. I don't think that they're going to slide back to the basement just yet. Uh, but once again, let's see how Ryan Silverfield handles a group of guys that aren't necessarily his guys yet. He's still kind of in that weird limbo where he's still coaching a lot of the guys who were recruited by and signed on the data line for Norvell and now are going to be, you know, and he's going to be the head coach of them. It won't be until maybe two or three years down the line that we'll really get to see whether or not Memphis is going up, staying stagnant or going down because of the fact that Norvell's, you know, you know, Norvell recruited so well and, and, pretty much stocked the cupboards with talent at that university for Silverfield to kind of just reap the benefits from. I think this is a seven day win team uh, next year. And let's just see where Memphis goes over the next two to three years. All right. So the last team here, we're returning to the Mac. It is Toledo who was four and two last season, 68th recruiting class in the nation, but that's good for first in the Mac Two transfers out five transfers in, a bunch of returning all-MAC players coming back to this squad for Jason Candle. Running back Bryant Kobach, wide receiver Bryce Mitchell, center Bryce Harris, edge rusher Jamal Hines, defensive end Dewan Johnson, safety Tyson Anderson, and safety Nate Bauer all coming back for this squad, Nick. Uh, lots of returning talent. What do you think about Toledo in 2021? 
I was looking through and, and Toledo fortunately is somebody that, that had or a program that has uh, updated its 2021 roster. It's about 50% right now, but uh, I counted what all 22 starters coming back. I mean, they've got two seniors uh, in our depth charts, Shakif Seymour being one of those, the, the running back who was hurt most of last year. Uh, and then, a, a, you know, a defensive lineman in the two deep, those guys are are not taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility, but it seemed like everybody else was. So Toledo is a team that was, according to our team performance numbers, the second most improved team in college football last season, only Coastal Carolina, which had the biggest improvement uh, that we might ever see from one year to another, uh, was better. And, you know, their two losses were by a combined six points. I mean, this is a team that is one of the most talented in the MAC, consistently recruits, you know, that one or two or three uh, rated class in the conference. Jason Candle is a head coach who has gotten some buzz for bigger jobs. Uh, now, our head coach rating has, doesn't necessarily uh, think that he is one of the best coaches in college football, seems to actually uh, underachieve somewhat regularly, ranks 103rd in our, uh, excuse me, 102nd in our head coach ratings based on those team performance ratings from, from year in and year out. But he's got everything at his disposal to win the MAC in 2021. This will be among the most uh, experienced and, and have the most returning production in the MAC, you know, with potentially all 22 starters. Plus, they add a Power Five transfer wide receiver in Matt Landers. They are adding uh, a Power Five uh, transfer at defensive tackle, George Culpepper from Penn State, you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple others as well. Uh, Power Five transfer from Nebraska at corner, Ronald Delancey uh, didn't end up playing, hasn't, hasn't played yet. But still, you know, these are players who are uh, recruited at a, a pretty high level, high three-star, low four-star type guys who Toledo has had some success with, with players like that in the past. And, and, you know, Ronnie Blackman, who was a defensive back at Colorado, comes out and, and uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have uh, made too many people mad if he – had been an all Mac receiver last year. I mean, he had some, had some solid games was a very, very productive starting receiver for, for Toledo last year. So this is a team that will, I think be our highest rated Mac team. Uh, I think that Buffalo is going to take a big step back with some of the losses they had personnel wise, just from a team strength standpoint. I think they'll still be a MAC title contender. But Western Michigan, very similar, uh, is losing, you know, a couple of, of high profile players, hundred rated type players. Uh, so they're probably going to slip back a few spots. And then Toledo bringing back just about everybody, probably going to creep into the 40s, uh, probably will be our number one rated MAC team right around 45, something like that in our preseason ranking. So it's a team that, you know, uh, we've seen the Mac represent in the, the BCS in the, you know, new year six, uh, what have you, it's possible that this could be that sort of team. They do play Notre Dame in uh, week two, go on the road. That's going to be a young Notre Dame team with a lot of new faces. It It's not a team, you know, not a game that we would expect uh, Toledo to win necessarily, but 
it certainly is one that that they have an opportunity potentially to, to pull off an upset. Uh, and then every other game on the schedule is winnable. Uh, this is a team that, you know, if it's not 11 and one, 10 and two, you know, I, I think we really should have some questions about Jason Candle because that would be another really big disappointment. I think Toledo should be the Mac favorite. And I think that, you know, that they absolutely have the potential to be one of the best G5 teams in college football next year. And, and if not, it will be a, a major, major disappointment. So hopefully they'll be able to, to build on that major turnaround. I mean, they were consistently, you know, top 40 in just about every statistical category that, that we uh, like to note. They were 32nd in net yards per play. They were 12th in EPA margin, 27th in net points per drive, 18th net yards per pass attempt, and 27th in net success rate. So they played only a max schedule, but that's still you know pretty impressive. And, and the schedule next year, aside from Notre Dame, isn't that much you know, it isn't much difficult. It isn't much more difficult. They play Norfolk State to start in the, you know, uh, a an FCS uh, school. They play Colorado State at home and they go to UMass in the non-conference. So it's, it's absolutely a manageable schedule and you have a, a little bit of a, you know, prime opportunity for a, a national headline making upset by going to Notre Dame in, in week two. If you're able to pull that off, Toledo could be 12 and 0, could be uh, you know a New Year's Six team, or at least somebody else is going to have to put together a better resume with a stronger strength of schedule. But we absolutely could be talking about an 11 win Toledo team knocking on the door of uh, you know New Year's Six Bowl next year. What What do you think, Xavier? You think Toledo is uh, uh, good enough to make uh, knock on the door of that uh, New Year's Six Bowl, or uh, you think they're going to fade this year? I don't see why not. I really don't. And, and Nick hit it right on the head. I think this is going to be a, a team that, you know, for all, for our, our betters out there, you might want to put money down when they play at Notre Dame. Nick hit it right on the head. This is going to be a young Notre Dame team that they're going to be playing this year. A Toledo team that absolutely can compete for a MAC championship this year. And they're playing them in week two where they could ke- catch them slipping just a little bit. Well, I think they can mo- they can cover. You know, obviously, I don't know the odds of that game as of right now, but I think this, you know, looking at it just here in March, I think that they can absolutely cover in that ballgame. So, Nick, with all that being said, are you saying that Toledo can and will win the MAC? Can, yes. Will, you you won't really ever get you ever really you won't really get me to say uh somebody will do something or a team will do this or that, but can absolutely I, I think they would be I, I I don't see a scenario right now and, and haven't gotten to our full Mac projections yet, but just looking at their depth chart and our team profiles and knowing what's coming back, knowing what uh Toledo and Western Michigan, who are the only teams ranked higher than Toledo in the Mac last year, uh, knowing what they are going to be without, I don't see a scenario where Toledo is not the highest ranked team in the Mac. They don't play Buffalo and they host Western Michigan. So, I mean, you know, by, by just looking at that, even though they have to go to ball state, who is the defending Mac champion, you know, ball state was 69th in our power rankings. So we would have Toledo favored on a neutral field if they were to play next week, based on all of our last year's numbers, even on the road, it's probably going to be, you know, Toledo a slight favorite, maybe a, a toss-up situation there. That's 
you know, that that is a game, and I completely glossed over that. Ball State, I think, is very similar mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to San Jose State, the San Jose State team that they beat in the bowl game, where maybe they arrived a little bit, you know, one year early. And even though they have so much coming back, we should be a little bit cautious about their, I think I said all this last week, but, you know, should be a little bit cautious, shouldn't necessarily, necessarily expect them to be the favorite. I do think Toledo is the favorite and probably should be, uh, you know, favored to win that game. Right. Even if they're two and one with the loss to Notre Dame, uh, that that's a game where I think, you know, maybe the the public or the you know people who aren't as plugged in to the <laughs> to the to the very minor details as we sometimes like to get into that. That's a game I think Toledo right now will mm-hmm. be a better team on paper than Ball State uh, on, on September 25th. So can they win the Mac? Absolutely. Should they? Will they? I, that's not really <laughs> for me to say, but, uh, but can they? Yeah. I, I, I yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to catch Nick in, in, in a, yes, they will. <laughs> so I could put it on freezing cold takes if they did. Um, but and that's I, I why you'll never hear him say that. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely agree with Nick. I, th- I think there's a team that can run the table that can win the Mac next year. And when you look at it in the recruiting wise, it's about time. This is a team that's finished ranked the number one in the Mac in recruiting this year, the year before, the year before that, and they currently rank first in the Mac next year. So you're looking at a team that at the very least talent wise is bringing in the best, you know, recruiting classes in the Mac year in and year out. And you're expecting them to at least, you know, turn that into, you know, some type of competitiveness coming into this year. I don't see why not. And like I said, I think that they can cover against Notre Dame. I'm going to call that early. So if you want to clip that, you can do that if you want to. Uh, but to say Toledo, you know, is going to take a step back whatsoever, I don't think so. I think last year was a bit of a misnomer in the games that they lost. There were two tight contests. They lost by three, a combined six points in both games. Um, outside and that of West that, Michigan they, game was crazy. Like that, I was, remember that. That was the flukiest. Yes, I remember we, we were texting yeah. in the group chat about that one. Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we look at that, it being the case, and, and every other game outside of that and Central Michigan, they won handedly, putting up almost 40 points in every single other ball game and winning by more than two touchdowns in every other ball game, but those two losses and the one in Central Michigan. I don't see why they can't run the table this year. Um, you know, my, my only concern is a little bit of a burnout, you know, before, you know, with their schedule being so much so top heavy, you know, they get the bye week only uh, October 30th. You can burn out in that scenario where you, you know, your game right before the burnout or excuse me, right before the, uh, the off week is Western Michigan. That could be a that could be a trap game for them, especially with how things went last year. Western Michigan will be coming into that game with some confidence. Outside of that, and like Nick said, the game at Ball State, run the table, please run the table, Toledo. Uh, you know, and I will say this, and Nick, you can tell me if if I'm stretching here, but you know, with Eli Peters coming back from injury, I think that makes them an even better team than they were last year. Um, you know. That that's an interesting point because I didn't I didn't really even talk about the quarterback position. Eli Peters has been injured off and on a mm-hmm. lot, and so you've got two uh, experienced quarterbacks. Carter Bradley played really well last year, and and you know maybe should be the starter, but then they also brought in a P five transfer and and Tucker Gleason from Georgia Tech. So is that a three man? 
competition and, and Daquan Finn, you know, got a little bit of playing time in uh, 2019. And, and I thought, you know, was impressive in spurts. So that, that is something I, I should have brought up. I'm glad you did because that's, that's a lot going on at the quarterback position. Yep. And sometimes that's, you know, not necessarily a, a recipe for rising to high expectations. So I'm a little bit concerned uh, about that because one, is Peters the best option? Two, if he is, can he stay healthy? Three, if he's not, you know, what's the what's the week to week situation with an ongoing quarterback competition? So I, I am that is that is a reason to uh, you know keep that in mind. But uh, still on paper, assuming they find the right guy and he's the guy and the locker room's behind him. Uh, I think Toledo's positioned really well. All right. Well, I mean, that, that is uh that, that is a marathon recording. I believe this is Nick's first uh, marathon recording session, isn't it? I mean, you know, a little behind the curtain look. Uh, I'm never going to be a four hour morning radio guy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. You got to have, uh, you got to have tons of subjects when you do that, you know, you have more than just one thing, you know, you can't talk about college football for four straight hours unless, you know, uh, you live in Alabama or, or something. So I was like, absolutely in the South. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I lived in Jackson, Mississippi for two years and they taught college football 360 days, 365 days a year, four hours a day in the morning in the afternoon. Oh yeah. It can be done. It can be done, but, uh, but yeah, not, probably not without losing your sense of self, I guess <laughs> that, that's just, that, that, that's too much. You know, the, uh, I, Xavier, how, how many, uh, marathon recording sessions have you done since you've started a bunch of podcasts recently? Like a four couple? or five. Four yeah. Or five. Okay. Like four or five. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've done the all day bit where I'm in this chair and for 12 hours recording nine. So, you know, th this is, this is another day to me, you know, I, I my wow. hobby is sitting, so I'm okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's fine. Uh, but, uh, next week we're going to have a, a lot more, uh, to come to you too. Cause we're doing, uh, you know, we're done with the position stuff. So we are going to keep looking at these teams in breaks of 10 here. Uh, so next week we've got a bunch of fun teams coming up. We're going to have a Nebraska and Marshall and Northwestern and, and Boise state. In the very next show, the one after that, we're going to have uh, LSU, Indiana, Utah, TCU, Michigan, a bunch of good teams coming up. So uh, getting real, real interesting here. So be sure you stick with us. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Tristier, I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.